Amen. You guys can grab a seat. Ooh, glad you guys are hanging out with us here on a Monday night. If you have your Bible, feel free to turn it on and open it up because we'll be hanging out in Luke chapter 18 tonight. So if you have your Bibles, again, turn them on, open them up. Uh, Luke chapter 18 is where we're going to be as we continue in this series, The Pharisee and Me. And so if you remember those last week as we jumped into this, what we're doing in this series is we're talking about how there's a Pharisee in all of us. This voice in our heads that seems godly, right? It seems good. But really when we break it down and we start looking at it, instead of leading us to live a life that honors God and follows Jesus, it's really taking us into a whole different direction. And so the whole purpose of this series is for us to learn how to ignore this voice. Ignore this voice that often sounds like a voice of reason and instead learn to listen to the voice of God. And so last week we hung out in Luke 15 and, and talked about how we could do that based upon the passage that we see um, starting off in that chapter. And then today we're going to be jumping into Luke 18 and talking about what we can learn from that. How we can recognize this voice inside of us and what we can do in order to ignore it and listen to the voice of God instead. So again, Luke 18 is where we're going to be. If you don't have your Bibles, we'll have the verses on the screen for you. So feel free to follow along with us there. So it was December 31st, 2006, and I was a senior in high school. And for the first time in a long time, I was going to celebrate the new year with the girl in my life. And so the plan was later on in that day, we were going to get together at her friend's house and we we're going to ring in the new year together. So I'm excited about this and really looking forward to just what we have going on that night. Now, a few days earlier, though, we were talking on the phone and my girlfriend mentioned to me how there was a party that was going to be going on before me and her hung out at a friend's house that she went to school with. And so she talked about she was invited to go hang out with them, but she mentioned to me that there's going to be some questionable stuff that was going to be going down at that place. And so we talked about it, and I kind of encouraged her not to go there because of that. And she said, yeah, you know, that's right. I agree with you. I don't need to go. And so I was like, okay, cool. And so we kind of moved on. However, on New Year's Eve, when it finally rolls around, she decides to go rogue without telling me. And she decides to go hang out with these people instead. And so I show up at her friend's house that night. And I'm in my car. And I guess I call her to kind of figure out where she is. And so she tells me she's eating dinner with her parents. I think they had just wrapped up. And she says that she actually decided to go hang out with these people. And what she thought might happen, this questionable stuff, they, it did, in fact, happen. And when straight-laced... Goody Two Shoes Jesse found out that this happened. He was not a fan. This is not something that I enjoyed and I was happy about. Now, she didn't do anything, but to me, it was just a big deal that she was there, right? And so I thought it would be a great idea to, to do the whole I'm not mad, I'm just disappointed routine, right? <laughs> because that was the kind of boyfriend I was. <laughs> And needs to say, she did not take that very well. She, she didn't. She was not a big fan of me doing that. And so um, the conversation ended a little bit rough, and we ended up getting off the phone. And so I go ahead and head inside I had to wait for her, and she's going to wrap up whatever she's doing with her parents, and then she was going to come on over. 
is I show up into a friend's house. There's probably like four or five people there because I guess we didn't have a lot of friends. And um, I go into the living room and I sit down. And as I sit down, I just start waiting for my girlfriend to show up. And see, at this point in our relationship, we had never gotten in a fight before. So I had no idea what was going to happen when she showed up. Right? I didn't know if she was going to pretend like nothing happened. I didn't know if she was going to give me the cold shoulder the entire night. I wasn't sure if she was going to be extra nice to me because secretly she was going to kill me in my sleep later. Right? I mean, I had no idea. No idea what was happening. And so I'm just barely talking to anybody because I just have a thousand thoughts that are going through my brain. Because I just want to make sure that I am ready when she walks through that door. And so finally, she shows up. And I hear the door open, and I look to see who it is, and she walks in, and she puts her stuff down, and then she just goes into a different room. <laughs> I, I really, to this day, I'm not sure why she did that. But as you can imagine, right, I mean, I'm sitting there, and I can still feel the tension that was in that house once she walked in. I can still feel it. Because then I just start waiting there, right? I just have this I'm anxiously anticipating what is going to happen when she comes in and she makes the first move, right? Because I'm going to win this game of chicken, right? I'm not saying anything until she says something to me. And so after about a minute, she walks in the room and she says, Jesse, can I speak to you outside for a minute, please? And I was like, yeah, this definitely isn't good. And so <laughs> I said, yeah. And, and so we walk outside and we start talking. And so she made it very clear uh, that she did not like how I responded to her going to hang out with her friends. And she also decided that would be a good time to tell me some other stuff in the relationship that I was apparently uh, doing wrong. And so, <laughs> so she, we just sit there and she just starts letting me have it. Now, Goody Two Shoes Jesse definitely did not like her going to this party, but what was happening right now, I liked even less, right? And so I'm in this moment, I'm like, okay, she is laying into me. I'm just going to diffuse this, right? I'm going to stop this and diffuse the situation. And so my goal was just kind of to reach out, put my hand on her and say, look, it's not a big deal. Like, it's fine that you went. Like, I overreacted, you know, all that kind of stuff in order to get her to calm down. And so I remember I reached out to put my hand on her cheek and she blocked it and pushed it away. And I was like. <laughs> and I remember it was at that point that I just felt the weight of the moment. And I was like, hey, let's, let's go talk in your car. And so we did. And so we went to her car and we talked for hours, for hours. And as we're sitting there in her car, she did something that I totally did not expect her to do. She decided to break up with me. Yeah. That's, that's, that's about right. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh, and so so on that last day in 2006, when that when that clock struck midnight and everybody else was celebrating the new year, I was getting my heart broken in a BMW. Right, that's, that's what was going on with me. And so once, once kind of the death settled and a couple of days went by, I really kind of wanted to figure out what went wrong. Right? This just seemed so, it seemed so random to me. It was so unexpected. Right? I understand a fight, but the fact that it went to the point of us breaking up was just something that I just did not see coming. 
And so I decide to do a little bit of research just to try to put the pieces of the puzzle of this broken relationship together to try to just figure out, again, what went wrong. And so I started gathering information. I started having conversations with people. And as I did, a very clear picture began to emerge. A picture that said the force behind this girl breaking up with me was actually her parents. Because when they were eating out that night, and I called her afterwards, she told them how I responded about her going to that party. And her parents did not like her dating me. And so they decided to use that situation to convince her to break up with me so they could kind of get me out of the picture and get her to move on. But this was the reason why they wanted her to break up with me. Because they said that I was changing their daughter. But not in the way that you think. Instead, once she started dating me, she started taking her faith more seriously. And she stopped doing some of the stuff that she used to do. Because I guess she was just growing in her relationship with God. And so the way that I saw it, the reason that this, these parents wanted her, their daughter to break up with me was because I love Jesus. Right? Like that's what, how I saw this. Right? And I was rubbing off on her and she was starting to take her faith more seriously because of that. So you can imagine when I found that out, I was like, are you kidding me? Like, is this a joke? Isn't it usually like the opposite that happens, right? Somebody starts to corrupt their daughter, and then that's when they step in. And so this was just like, it was just so crazy to me that this was happening. Because I felt like even though I was living my life right, somehow that was wrong. And so in the midst of this frustration, in the midst of this anger, in the midst of just everything that was happening in this situation, I remember I started hearing a voice. A voice that told me why they felt this way and why all of this was happening. A voice that, that essentially said to me, the reason that these people don't like you, Jesse, is because you make them feel convicted. Because, see, you're living the life the way that they should, and they know that, and it bothers them. And so because... They want their daughter to be less like you and more like them. They're trying to push you out of the picture so that you don't influence her anymore. Jesse, these people feel lesser than around you because you're better than them. And so that is what this voice was telling me. And if I had to guess... Just like we talked about last week, I'm sure you've heard this voice too. Even though it probably wasn't your ex-girlfriend's parents, right? We all have been guilty of feeling this way towards somebody before. And it's because we all think that we're better than somebody. Right? We all think that we're better than somebody. Maybe it's because we're more athletic than they are. Maybe because we're smarter than they are. Maybe because we're more grounded than they are or more understandable than they are. Whatever it might be, there are people in our lives that we just think we're a little bit better than because of what, whatever reason. Right? We've all been guilty of this before. 
especially when this voice in our head is telling us because of who we are or because of what we've done, we're just a little bit higher on the pedestal than somebody else. We all think that we're better than somebody. And so it's no surprise that this voice that tells us this today was also around 2,000 years ago when Jesus was here. In fact, it was so common in Jesus' day for this to happen. Listen to how he starts off this parable, or rather listen how Luke prefaces how this parable is going to start off in verse number 9 of Luke 18. It says, To some who were confident in their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable, right? And so what Luke is telling us is that Jesus is talking to us. He's talking on people like us who have the tendency to think that we're better than somebody else. And so after Luke gives us this setup statement to kind of let us know why Jesus is telling us this parable, Jesus continues to tell this story. And he tells this story about a Pharisee to the Pharisees who were hanging out and listening to him. So let's read verse 10 together. So Jesus says, Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I'm not like the other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and I give a tenth of all that I get. Now, I'm assuming because you, like me, have been taught that the Pharisees are the bad guys, that when we read that just then, you automatically saw that in a negative light, didn't you? But see, the people of this time who would have first heard Jesus say this, they actually wouldn't have thought that. Because Jesus isn't using embellished language in order to paint the Pharisee out to be, a, to be the villain in the story. Because this is actually how Pharisees prayed back then. This is the type of words that they would use and the type of phrases that they would use when they would pray at the temple. And when we remember what we talked about last week, right, that the Pharisees were the professional or the spiritual professionals of their day. Right? They took pride in living their life in a way that honored God and they expected to do it in a way so that other people watched them and emulated them. Then we can totally understand why he would say this. Right? It makes sense why the Pharisee would use these words. Because when the Pharisee is praying, he is just thankful that he is living a godly life. Right? He is thankful that he isn't like somebody who lived their, lived their life in a way that completely goes against what the Bible teaches. Right? He's thankful that he is somebody who's able to go beyond what God has asked. And he's able to fast more than what's required. And he's able to give more than what's asked. And so what we really see happening here is the Pharisee is just happy with himself. He's happy with himself because he is living a godly life. Because in his pursuit of God, he has gotten to the point of his life that he is living for God. And so as he's praying here, he could easily be thinking about all the things in his life that he hasn't done to get to him to where he is today. Where he could be thinking about all the sacrifices that he's made so that he's not like that tax collector. But instead, he is living a life that honors God now. Right? He'd be thinking about all those times in his life that even though it was hard, he still said no. And all those times in his life where he was all alone because everybody else said yes. 
And so as the Pharisee sits at this temple and he's praying to God, he is happy with himself. Because he's made it. Because he's living a life and it shows that he's trying to honor God. So he feels like God is so proud of him because of all those things that he hasn't done. And when we're living in our relationship with God, we can find ourselves being in the exact same place as the the Pharisee, can't we? A place that we're happy because in our pursuit of God, we've gotten to a place that we feel like we're living for him. And we feel like all of our work has paid off. We're finally growing in our relationship with God. We're finally making choices that we feel like has caused God to be proud of us. And when we look at where we were and we see where we are now, we are so happy about how far that we've come. But see, the costly mistake that the Pharisee makes here is the same mistake that we can make when we find ourselves at this place. And we can do this without even realizing it. Because see, it's when we're here, it's when we find ourselves in a place that we feel like we're living for God, that we have the tendency to start thinking that we're better than others. It's at this place that we're living a life for God that we can start thinking that we're just a little bit higher on the pedestal. Of course, we would never say it, right? You know, in our culture, it's not acceptable to pray like that out loud. But that doesn't mean we don't think it. That doesn't mean that we don't think because we're now living life the way we should to, or now because we're a genuine believer, or now because of all the hard work that we've done, that we're just a little bit better than those who aren't living that way. And so we can think that we're better than those who cuss all the time, who go out and get wasted on Thursday nights, who tell perverted jokes or who sleep around, who or really whoever else that we look at, and we just don't think that they're quite where we are spiritually because they don't do what we do or because they have done what we don't do. And see, the reason that we think this way and the reason that we feel this way is because the Pharisee focuses on the mistakes that we haven't made, right? The Pharisee focuses on the mistakes that we haven't made because that's exactly what's going on in this passage, isn't it? All right, the Pharisee is thanking God because he's not somebody who robs people. He's thanking God that he is not somebody who is cheating on his spouse. He is thanking God that he is not somebody who does evil, that he's not like this tax collector, right? In his mind, he is focusing on all the things that he hasn't done. And when we get to the point in our lives that we think that we're better than other people, we can find ourselves doing the exact same thing. And we understand when people are struggling with stuff that we struggle with. But when somebody's doing something that we haven't done, that's different. Right, so then that we start to think that maybe we're on a little bit of a higher pedestal because we are living a godly life. Right, we are living in a way that makes God proud of us. And we are pursuing him with our lives. Because what happens when we focus on the mistakes that we haven't made, that it becomes very easy for us to focus on the mistakes that other people have made. And it's at that point that we just think we're a little bit better than they are. 
And so Jesus mentions here about the prayer of the Pharisee, but what we can't forget is that there's somebody else who's also at the temple praying. Somebody Jesus refers to as a tax collector. Now, tax collectors were people who were absolutely hated by the Jews. Because in the mind of somebody who was Jewish, a tax collector was a traitor and they were a thief. They were a traitor because they worked for the Roman government. Right? So they worked for the very people who were suppressing the Jews in their very land. And so they were basically playing for the other team. But see, they were a thief because the way that a tax collector would make his fortune is he would go and overcharge people on their taxes so that he could keep the extra. And so this was somebody who was working for the Roman government and he was taking and stealing from his family and his friends. And so these people were absolutely hated during this time. But when Jesus talks about the prayer of the tax collector, notice how much different it is than the prayer of the Pharisee. Because this is what we see in verse 13. It says, but the tax collector stood at a distance and he would not even look up to heaven. But he beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I mean, how much unlike, I mean, how unlike are these two prayers that we see here, right? I mean, instead of focusing on the mistakes that he hasn't made, this tax collector is clearly and specifically focusing on what he has done. And as he does this, he is so grieved. He is so distressed over what's happened that it completely impacts the way that he talks to God. Right? He stands at a distance from God because he feels so unworthy to be in God's presence. And he's so ashamed he won't even look up to heaven. And then we see that as he talks to God, he beats his chest because he is so brokenhearted about what's taking place in his life. And then when he finally gets the courage to speak and to pray to God, he isn't thanking God because of who he's not. Instead, he is begging God for mercy because of who he is. And after Jesus gets done comparing these two guys and showing how opposite their prayers are, he would have said something that would have been absolutely controversial during his day. He would have said something that people would have been shocked about and to be honest with you, a little bit disgusted. Because this is how Jesus wraps this up. He says, I tell you that this man, the tax collector, rather than the other, the Pharisee, went home justified before God. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted. I mean, this would have been so shocking for every single person listening because it wasn't the spiritual professional who left that place forgiven, who left that place in a right standing before God. That's what people expected Jesus to say. That's what they expected to hear. But in a complete plot twist, Jesus says it is not the Pharisee. Instead, it is the dirty, filthy tax collector. He leaves that place forgiven. This guy who financially abuses his friends and steals from his family. And see, the reason that the tax collector walks away from this place justified in this right relationship with God, forgiven, is because of this. He actually knew who he really was. 
he actually understood who he really was. Because this guy, he was completely aware that he needed God to fix him. He knew that he needed to tell God all of the things that he had done. And he understood who he was and that he did not deserve at all to be close to God. And so this guy got it. He understood who he was, and this is what he got. This tax collector knew that he was a sinner in desperate need of God's grace, in desperate need of God's undeserved kindness in his life. And the problem is the Pharisee didn't. The Pharisee didn't see his need for grace. Instead, he's not aware of anything in his life that needs fixing. He doesn't see a need at all to tell God his sins anymore. And he actually misunderstands who he is, which calls him to think that he actually deserves to have a relationship with God because of all the good things that he's done. And I believe the reason that the Pharisee thought this was because he focused on the mistakes that he hasn't made. He focused on all the things that he hadn't done, which caused him to think that he was better than others. So what we see here is the costly error of the Pharisee was his pride. Because his pride kept him from seeing his need for grace. His pride made him forget that he needed God's kindness. And when we find ourselves focusing on the mistakes that we haven't made, then we can do the exact same thing. We too can forget grace. We too can forget how much we need God's kindness in our life. And we can start listening to this voice inside of us instead that says, ignore that there's any problems. Don't think that you need any more help. You're good because you're living right. And because of that, you're better than others. But whenever we forget that we need grace, it's simply because we have forgotten the cross. Because the cross makes something very, very clear. And it's that everybody is the same. Right? We've all made mistakes. And because of those mistakes, we have ruined our relationship with God. And because God is perfect and we are not, there's nothing that we can do to fix it. We're not capable of doing anything to solve that problem on our own. And when we look at our lives and we think about all the stuff that makes us better than other people because of all the things that we've done or all the things that we haven't done, what's crazy is that the Bible talks about all the things that we do or filthy rags before God. I mean, that's how messed up our situation is. That even our best effort is a filthy rag before God. And so when we couldn't do anything about this, God decides to do something. Even though he did not deserve, to, even though we did not deserve for God to give us anything, he chooses to send his son to the cross. And by doing that, God chooses to show us grace. Because he is at the cross that Jesus fixed the problem that we created. It's because of the cross that he restores the ruined relationship that we had with God. 
And it's because of the cross that we can now know God and love God and interact with him. It's because of nothing that we've done. And we don't bring anything to the table. Instead, it's because of everything that God has done. And so the cross makes very clear to all of us that everybody's the same. Because of the heart of who everybody is, it were sinners who were in desperate need of God's grace. And so what this means and what we can't ever forget is that the cross doesn't make you better than them. The cross doesn't make you better than them. Instead, it shows us that we're not. I mean, if you are a believer, the cross does not make you better than somebody who isn't. The only difference is that you've come to God with your sin and asked him for to forgive you. I mean, if you are a mature Christian, the cross does not make you better than somebody who's not as mature because we all still struggle with sin in our life. Instead, what the cross makes clear is that we are all sinners who are in desperate need of God's grace. That's who we are. And so what that means is we never move past grace in our Christian life. There's never a time in our life that we get over grace. Instead, our relationship with God is always based on what Jesus has done for us. Our relationship with God is never based on what we have done. It's always based on what Jesus did for us. It's not based on our goodness. It's always based on God's kindness. We never move past grace because we're all sinners who are in desperate need of forgiveness. We are all sinners in desperate need of God's kindness in our life. And so that's what we have to remember. If we want to ignore this voice inside of us that says that we are better than others, we have to remember that the cross doesn't make us better than anybody. Instead, the cross is the place where we learn how sinful we are, but we learn how great God is. And so as we wrap up, here's my challenge for you. If you find yourself focusing on the mistakes that you haven't made, which is causing you to look down on other people, my challenge for you is to focus on the cross. To focus on what Jesus has done for you. Because this is what's so beautiful and so amazing about the cross, is that the cross reminds us who we really are. It reminds us of our mistakes. It reminds us of all the things that we've done in our past that we wish we could erase. It reminds us of all the things that have taken place in our life that we wish we could forget. But here's the beauty of the cross. It also reminds us what Jesus has done. It reminds us that he's removed our sin as far as the east is from the west. It reminds us that he doesn't treat us according to the things that we've done, but he treats us according to what Christ did in our place. And it's at the cross that all the shame and all the guilt and all the things in our life that hinder our relationship with God can be moved to the side because Jesus already took them on himself. And so when we remember the cross, that's when we remember humility because we're constantly reminded that we have made mistakes, but we're reminded at the same time that Jesus took them on himself. And so when we remember the cross, we never forget grace. So that's my challenge for you tonight. And as we sing these next songs, that you would sing to a God who has forgiven you, a God who has cleansed you, and a God who died not so that you would be better, 
and others. But a God who died so that you can know him and love him and spend eternity with him. So focus on the cross. And let's live lives that honor God as we ignore the voice of the Pharisee in us. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for this amazing truth that we have in this passage. That we are sinners in desperate need of your grace. And that you are God who chooses to give it to us, not because we deserve it, but because you love us. And we never get to the point of our life that we ever outgrow grace. We never get to the point of our lives, Lord, that we are in this position where we can start doing things on our own and that's why you love us or that's why you accept us. And so my prayer, God, is for people in the room like myself who have the tendency to think that we're better than others, that you would just remind us of the cross, that you remind us of this place where we can run to you, embracing who we really are, but at the same time, we can embrace who you are as well and walk away knowing that we're loved and forgiven and redeemed. So may we sing of that grace right now, God. May we sing of how amazing it has been to us and that we've been brought from death to life and from grace to grace. And so I ask this in Jesus' name, amen.